Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of All My Movies and today we have a double shot because we are wrapping up Bad Movie Month with perhaps the king of the bad movies or at least the current king of the bad movies, Tommy Wiseau's 2003 spectacular disaster The Room and the movie that was inspired by that movie, The Disaster Artist, directed by and starring James Franco. We're breaking the format just a little bit because usually if I have a couple movies, I'll talk about them individually and discuss how they relate to each other. But The Room and The Disaster Artist are very closely intertwined. The movie The Disaster Artist is based on the book The Disaster Artist, which was co-authored by Greg Sestero, who was a longtime friend of Tommy Wiseau's, plays Mark in the film, was also the line producer, essentially by his side for the entire process of making the movie. So you're going to hear clips from The Room, you're going to hear and see clips from The Disaster Artist, They'll be mixed in and interwoven because there really is a fabric of failure and success, quite frankly, when we're talking about the story of The Room and the movie about the making of The Room, The Disaster Artist. Before we get started, I just want to thank you for watching, if you're watching us on the Schmodown Entertainment Network, and if you're listening as one of our audio listeners. If you are an audio listener and you want to see the video, and trust me, you do on this one, you can check us out on the Schmodown Entertainment Network. And if you're watching us on SEN and you want to become an audio subscriber, we would love to have you there. We're trying to grow the podcast every way that we can. You can find all my movies on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you like to find your audio podcasts. That's where we are. The Room has become synonymous with bad movie. It is the Manos Hands of Fate. It is the Plan 9 from Outer Space of our time. One of them found out about it, beat her up so bad she ended up in a hospital on Guerrero Street. <laughs> What a story, Mark. It's a movie that I first became acquainted with sometime around 2006. I had recently moved to Los Angeles. There were a bunch of friends that were going to some midnight showing, and all I knew was that they said, we're going to go see this terrible movie called The Room. So I said, okay. I had no idea what I was in store for. It was one of the most fun and raucous theater-going experiences of my life, and I think it also reflected how a lot of people felt in real life when they first saw The Room, which was, I was very confused for the first 10 minutes, and by the end of it, I was having the time of my life. The Room is the brainchild of Tommy Wiseau, who is the director, writer, actor, and producer of the film, amongst many other things, and he himself is a mystery. Nobody knows where he's really from. He claims to be from New Orleans, all evidence to the contrary. Nobody really knows how he got the money to bankroll The Room, which had a budget of over $6 million. I I know that's hard to believe, but that is actual documented truth. And Tommy Wiseau himself seems very interested in maintaining this shroud of secrecy. How did you get the money through the room? Hmm? The room. The room? How did you come That's a beautiful question you have. Not an ordinary question, but it's a good question. You know, I always say, you live in America, you work hard, what do you do? You save money, right? When you save money, what do you do? You spend it. I spent on the movie. What we do know is that this apparent $6 million production is called The Room, and it's about a guy named Johnny who finds himself betrayed by everyone around him. But one of the great fascinations and frustrations with Tommy Wiseau is that even simple questions like, what does The Room mean? become impossibly labyrinthine answers. I call The Room, and title is The Room. It's not our room, but it's the room, because it's a special place. We all have a special place. Could be kitchen, could be basement, could be forest. 
you decide. The co-star of the room and the documentarian of this entire experience is Greg Sestero, who co-wrote the book, The Disaster Artist. He first met Tommy Wiseau in San Francisco. He had just decided to be an actor, and they met in an acting class where, as portrayed in the film, Greg was immediately intrigued by Tommy Wiseau's complete lack of inhibition or even knowledge that there was anyone in the room. Stella. Stella. Sestero expounds on this first encounter with Tommy on the commentary track for The Disaster Artist. When I saw Tommy go up there, I couldn't believe what I was watching because he took on Gene in a way that I hadn't seen, and everybody watching his performance knew they were witnessing something special. He didn't care what other people thought, and I was very much aware of that. One of the contradictions at the heart of The Room is that it is a story that is very deeply seated in betrayal and yet is based on a real-life, now decades-long friendship between Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero. One of Tommy Wiseau's key rules is never tell anybody anything about me. Yet even Sestero's writing of the book The Disaster Artist has not driven a wedge between these two friends. And as a matter of fact, their bond is what drives one of the least likely success stories in the history of Hollywood. You've had this place this whole time? Yeah, I, I had it several years now. And, and you never wanted to like move down here yourself and, and give acting a real shot? Well, I never had a friend to deal with it before. A few years after moving to Los Angeles, things weren't going as planned for either Tommy Wiseau or Greg Sestero. While Greg was able to secure an agent, he was not able to get consistent work, and Tommy, who went on many auditions, found out very early on that his very nature was going to preclude him from getting the A-list hero parts that he felt he deserved. You have a malevolent uh, presence. You are a perfect villain. I'm hero, and you all are villains. Yeah, y'all laugh. Ha ha ha. You know what? That was villain deal. But Tommy Wiseau had an ace in the hole. It started as a play, which he then tried to turn into a book, which he then turned into a script called The Room, where Tommy could cast himself as Johnny, the everyman who was deserving of the love he so richly thought he himself was owed. Also, according to Sestero, Tommy had initially planned for the character of Johnny to also be a vampire. But this element was dropped at some point in production. Sestero was originally brought on to help produce the film and assist Wiseau, but stepped in to play Mark when the actor who was originally cast as Mark was fired from the production. And this is a running theme when you hear about the production of The Room. Cast members and crew members either quitting the project or being fired. There was a revolving door of people coming in and out of The Room, but the shoot kept going despite an insanely long four-month production schedule, and this ability to pump what seemed like an endless supply of money was evident very early on when Wiseau made the decision to shoot in both 35mm and HD simultaneously on two cameras side-by-side side that he decided he was going to buy instead of renting. Is that not normal? Or? Industry standard is pretty much that you would rent the equipment because it's so prohibitively expensive to own Okay. It. I said no problem. Naturally, if you push Tommy Wiseau on his decision to shoot in two formats simultaneously and to buy equipment instead of renting it, he will prove to all of us that he really is a fifth dimensional being who's playing a game of chess on the world's checkerboard. Can we get a final answer on why you bought the lights and the cameras? Do you know the world's depreciation? Okay. That's an argument for renting. Okay. 
No, you don't understand. So we have nothing to talk about right now with you. But I'm sure renting it twice would have been less than no, buying it. No, you're incorrect right now. I'll stop you right now. Okay. okay. One crew member who's generated controversy is script supervisor Sandy Schler, who in a book entitled, Yes, I Directed the Room, posits that yes, he directed the room. It's actually right there in the title. More specifically, Schler says that Tommy was so tied up with his acting duties and was so inept at them that he took over as director, setting the camera shots, yelling action and cut, giving the directors their motivation, that he directed the bulk of the room up until he left the project to go work on something else, and that he has never been credited for his work directing the movie. Of course, why so, when asked about this, vigorously denies this accusation. How could be real director director quit? He didn't finish the project. Plus, he didn't direct. Okay, but he up was until hired. he quit, what, he what was, do you say? He up was, until he quit, what do you say? He was hired as a script supervisor. That's basically it. I know, but it seems like he had ambitions to be more well, than Well, everybody have ambitions. That's not my business, is it? <laughs> Sestero, for his part, in both multiple interviews and in his book, has acknowledged that Schler did take on some of the duties that you would see a director do, because Wiseau was in front of the camera, including calling action and cut, but does not say that Schler deserves credit for directing the film. You can see the role that he played in the production in the movie The Disaster Artist, where his role is played by Seth Rogen. <laughs> what a story, Mark. Cut. Why don't we go one more time and uh, let's just get a different reaction to the story, okay? Uh, let's, uh, let's roll with Tail Slate. The Room was filmed mostly on a soundstage and outside in the parking lot at Burns and Sawyer in Los Angeles with a few location days done in San Francisco. There is one thing though that I think has to be acknowledged when you're talking about the legend of The Room and that is the production process. It was a very tumultuous shoot and not a very pleasant one. This is something that I think needs to be mentioned especially when you look at the way that film production and television production is today but also the way that it was back in the early 2000s. Back then there were fewer productions it was a much more closed system. And if you were a member of a crew or if you were an actor and you got something like the lead of a movie, some people felt that you had to protect and preserve that job at all costs. And that meant letting the producers or the director really get away with anything that they wanted. We gotta get going, okay? We're already four hours behind. Okay, well, whose fault that? Yours. You're late every goddamn day. All right, that your five cents. The crew, and particularly the cast of the room, were not very well treated during the production. According to many on-set accounts, Tommy Wiseau was a difficult and demanding director, and there are a couple of instances that are documented in The Disaster Artist, the movie and the book, that show what kind of environment it was, including one day where Carolyn Minot, the actress who played Lisa's mother, Claudette, passed out on set because of the extreme heat and lack of water. What's she doing? Taking nap? She's not taking a fing nap, you fing idiot! She passed out! Juliet Danielle, who plays Johnny's fiance Lisa, really got the worst of all this because she was a very fresh face in Los Angeles, and to be a new actress and to get the lead in a movie, no matter what the budget is, that's a big deal. And according to Sestero, and again, many other accounts, her body was criticized openly and consistently by Tommy Wiseau in front of the crew. He did not close the set during the protracted shooting of the love scenes in the film, which required a lot of nudity on both of their parts. And this was not an easy situation for the young actress. Greg Sestero writes in The Disaster Artist that, quote, serial humiliation was just another obstacle for Juliet to smash through. 
This is briefly addressed in the film The Disaster Artist, where Tommy is taken to task by Greg for his treatment of the young actress. Word director come from dictator. Rest my case. You can't treat them like this. It's not right. I treat them how I treat them. If anyone needs to be upset here, it's me, quite frankly. What? Wiseau has maintained a defense publicly using pretty much that same logic, saying that this is the way that movies are made. This is how the great directors have done it, Hitchcock, etc. But I bring this up because I think it's important to note because I I've seen this firsthand from my time in Los Angeles, particularly when I started hanging out on film sets and was getting my first jobs in the industry, just trying to make ends meet while I was working on writing and everything else that I really wanted to do with my life that eventually led me here. There is exploitation everywhere in Los Angeles. There are people on the crew and in the cast of almost every production who, if they see something that doesn't feel right, feel pressured to not say anything because they don't want to lose their jobs. Luckily, a big, bright spotlight has been shining on this kind of culture in movie and TV production, and I think that that spotlight needs to stay big and bright and get even bigger and brighter. You can make movies and television and other entertainment without exploiting people and without creating an atmosphere where people feel like they can't speak up because the people that are doing these things are the ones in the wrong, not the people that they're doing them to. Of course, when confronted with these stories, no matter how many confirmed sources there are, why so will generally laugh them off or deny them, but I do think it has to be a part of the story. Yes, the room is a lot of fun, but you always have to make sure that in the telling of the story, you're not glossing over the parts that are maybe a little more uncomfortable to tell. You embarrass that girl in front of the entire whoa, whoa, crew, hey, hey, you're a dead man. Oh, really? Hey, hey, hey. Oh, really? I'm yeah. dead man? I'm dead man? As you move from behind the scenes to what you actually see in the movie, I think wading through the room really requires you to go into the movie a little bit step by step, or as close to step by step as you can get when you're talking about the formless blob that is the room. So let's jump into this madness and start it from the very beginning. As I mentioned earlier, this movie is nominally about a guy named Johnny, played by Tommy Wiseau, who works at a bank and has a fiancé named Lisa who doesn't love him anymore. We know this because Lisa says it several times. I don't love him anymore. I don't love Johnny anymore. I don't want to get married anymore. I don't love Johnny. Lisa is having an affair with Mark, who's Johnny's best friend. We know this, again, because it is said several times. Johnny's my best friend. Johnny's my best friend. Johnny's my best friend. He's your best friend. Mark's his best friend. I'm so happy I have you as my best friend. One of the most famous and baffling things about The Room is its supporting cast. Besides the leading love triangle of Mark, Johnny, and Lisa, you have these characters that pop in and out of the movie randomly. Some of them are never referenced again, and most of them have no point when it comes to the overall story. One of them is Denny. Oh, hey guys. Oh, hi, Danny. Who's supposed to be a teenager, but is obviously somewhere in his mid-twenties, who lives in the same building as Johnny and Lisa, and seems to have a very unhealthy fascination with both of them. Do you have something else to do? I just like to watch you guys. Denny's most notable contribution to the movie is that he's threatened in one of the most famous scenes in the movie by a drug dealer named Chris R. Where's my money, Denny? Where's my fucking money, Denny? Did you lose my and this scene leads to one of my favorite head-scratching lines of dialogue in the entire movie. I owe him some money. What kind of money? I owe him some money. What kind of money? What kind of money? Money? There are two things that are worth noting about this scene between Denny and Chris R. One of them is that it is never referenced again in the movie and has absolutely no bearing on the overall plot. 
The other one, in case you didn't notice, is that it is shot on a roof set with a big green screen backdrop for the background of San Francisco. And most of the exterior scenes are shot on this green screen. But this was actually the second time the Denny Chris R scene was shot. The first time it was shot was on the very, very first day of production on the very small alley set that we see later in the film. And the scene was reshot for many reasons, the first being that it was very, very bad. Just calm down, he's going to jail. Denny, what kind of money? What, what's going on? I bought some drugs off of him. Another character who's become a fan favorite is Lisa's mother, Claudette, who exists mainly to give her daughter terrible advice. I still think you should marry Johnny. Now you can't live on love. You need financial security. And then drop a narrative bomb from nowhere that never goes off. You're not dying, Mom. I got the results of the test back. I definitely have breast cancer. According to Tommy Wiseau, the reason for this cancer diagnosis that is never mentioned again, it's really just to keep the audiences guessing. Does this come back? What are you, why, what are you talking about? The storyline, the breast cancer. Breast cancer, nice twist. So it never comes back. I don't have time to explain script to you right now. It really can't be overstated just how crucial Wiseau's lead performance in this movie is to the fact that it has become such a cult classic because it is one of the most inept performances in the history of cinema. His half-hearted trashing of his own apartment near the end of the film has become the most famous example of his lackadaisical approach to the craft of acting. And another thing that makes The Room so bizarre was the choice to have Tommy Wiseau replace nearly all of his onset dialogue with very bad ADR. I'm tired. I'm wasted. I love you, darling. <laughs> this is particularly remarkable because one of the reasons that The Room purportedly ran so far over schedule is that Wiseau required an extensive number of takes in order to get his dialogue right in the first place. This is documented most famously in The Disaster Artist when they're shooting the I did not hit her scene on the green screen roof set. Take 67. Action. It's not true. I did not hit her. It's bullshit. Ugh. Ah! When you compare this to the actual scene, it matches almost exactly. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. But Tommy Wiseau naturally rejects the notion that it took him over five dozen takes to deliver one line accurately. If I do 67 tape or take of the same scene, yeah. the room did not exist. I'll be out of the business and I may be even homeless. <laughs> You know, it's hard to even sit here and recap this whole movie in sequence because there is really no rhyme or reason to it. I mean, we have Johnny. He seems to be a good guy. He even stops and buys flowers for his fiance on the way home. How much is it? It'll be $18. Keep go. Keep the change. Hi, doggie. You're my favorite customer. We have Lisa and Mark who are having an affair, and then we have a bunch of other random people. What are these characters doing here? Over time, Lisa's treachery becomes known as she toys with Johnny and his emotions. You are lying. I never hit you. You are tearing me apart, Lisa! But despite Lisa's lies about him, Johnny still remains true to her, although he does take the precaution of recording everything, which involves somehow connecting a cassette tape recorder to the phone and then letting it tape for days until he can get incriminating audio. I, You know, at this point, logic has gone out the window, along with Johnny's television later on in the movie. 
At some point, we meet a character named Peter, who's a psychologist and also one of Johnny's best friends, although we're never really introduced to him formally, nor is he given any kind of formal exit interview from this movie. He just sort of pops up in a couple scenes. If you want to, you should confront her. I can't confront her. I want to give her a second chance. After all, she's my future wife. You know what they say, love is blind. Including one of the most famous, which is when Johnny, Denny, Greg, and Peter walk around and play football in tuxedos by tossing the pigskin just a few feet away from each other. The football is the most notable thing for most people in this sequence, but for me, it's the chicken impersonations. I feel a little Michael Bluth-esque when I watch this movie, and I have to say, has Tommy Wiseau even heard a chicken? You're just a little chicken. If you really want to know how inept this movie is, I always point people to a scene that a lot of people kind of glaze over. It's about two-thirds into the movie, but it is a roadmap to how wrongly made this entire movie is. It's a scene set in a coffee shop, and we have a couple of establishing shots. We see people making coffee, and then there's a wide shot that I guess is supposed to be establishing that Mark and Johnny are going to be ordering something to drink. But it's 23 seconds long before they even walk up. We see two separate groups of people order before Mark and Johnny walk in. What would you like? Can I get a bagel and a Great, sure. I'm going to get a slice of cheesecake and a bottle of water. And then we see Mark and Johnny order. What would you like? Hot chocolate, please. What size do you have? Medium, please. Sure. How about you? I'll have the mint tea. Okay. Medium also? Yeah. And then they sit down in the coffee shop, which is really where the scene could have and should have started. Yeah, I'm so tired of girls' games. What happened now, Mark? Then Johnny and Mark talk about nothing really, followed by one of the best non-sequitur transitions in movie history. What client? I cannot tell you, it's confidential. Oh, come on, why not? No, I can't. Anyway, how is your sex life? Then Johnny realizes he's running late and has to leave, which begs the question, why did Johnny meet Mark for coffee in the first place if he knew he had somewhere to go in less than five minutes? This scene really is the movie The Room in a nutshell. Needlessly long, bafflingly structured, wildly random, and ultimately pointless. We will continue this cinematic odyssey through The Room in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Shudder, the streaming service that brings you the best selection of horror, thriller, and supernatural movies, series, and originals, ranging from classic movies to brand new films, streaming uncut and commercial-free right to your favorite streaming device. Shudder is packed with titles that you're not going to find anywhere else. These are just some of the exclusives that are coming to the service this month in February. You've got A Nightmare Wakes, After Midnight, The Joe Bob Valentine Special, Shook, The Dark and the Wicked, and the second half of A Discovery of Witches. You can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense year-round for $5.99 a month or $56.99 for the entire year. And you will find out very quickly why people are calling Shudder the Netflix for horror because it is the largest and fastest-growing hand-curated selection of supernatural and dangerous entertainment out there. Once you subscribe to Shudder, you will have unlimited ad-free access of everything Shudder has to offer to all of your favorite streaming devices, including iPad, iPhone, Apple TV, Xbox One, Amazon Fire TV, Chromecast, Roku, Android devices, you name it, 
Shudder streaming right there. The great thing about Shudder is if you're a horror aficionado, they've got everything you want. If you're more of a newer person to the horror genre, then they also have so much that you're looking for because not only can I catch up on all the classics that I've missed, there's great curated lists that can catch me up on the must-sees, but it's great for things like Schmodown Research. You know, it was just announced that there is a Nicolas Cage slice on the wheel. Well, guess what? You've got some of the best horror movies starring Nicolas Cage, including Vampire's Kiss, Color Out of Space, and Mandy. You can find all of those on Shudder. La Llorona, which is a Golden Globe nominated film for Best International Feature, that is on Shudder. People have been telling me to watch this movie called One Cut of the Dead, and I've been meaning to get to it for so long, but it's always been, well, where can I find it? Well, you know where I can find it? I can find it on Shudder because they have features from America, international features, classics, new features, you name it. If it's in the world of horror, the supernatural, thrillers, it's there on Shudder. Get started today streaming the best horror, thriller, and supernatural content. Shudder's expertly curated collection includes must-see titles like Color Out of Space, Host, The Mortuary Collections, plus all the best horror documentaries and the hit Creepshow TV series from executive producer Greg Nicotero of The Walking Dead. To try Shudder free, that's right, free, for 30 whole days, go to Shudder.com and use promo code MOVIES. That's Shudder.com, S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, promo code MOVIES to try it free for 30 days. And I'd like to thank Shudder for sponsoring the show. Surprise! Everything comes to a head in the third act at Johnny's surprise birthday party where Mark and Lisa are caught making out by another one of Johnny's friends who actually plays a very crucial part in the end of the film. What's going on here? Why are you doing this? And of course, we are never introduced to who this person is. We've never seen him in the film before. He literally just walks in as if we've all been nuts and have been brainwashed, and he's been in the movie the entire time. In reality, this character was supposed to be Peter, but the shoot went on for so long that the character who played Peter had to go on and do other things. So Wiseau just brought in a completely different character, gave him Peter's lines, and assumed that we would understand who he was supposed to be. This confrontation between Mark, Lisa, and the mystery man, whose name, by the way, is Steven, also produces one of my favorite Tommy-isms, a real Wiseau original line, a line of dialogue that was so bizarre that Sestero says that he fought against saying it because he had no idea what it could possibly mean. I love him. I don't believe it. You don't understand anything, man. Leave your stupid comments in your pocket. The movie then takes a sharp left turn to reveal that Lisa is also faking being pregnant, something that has not been set up and will barely be referred to subsequent to this interaction. Hey everybody, I have an announcement to make. We're expecting. There is no baby. What? Finally, all is revealed to Johnny and the depths of Mark and Lisa's treachery drive him over the edge as he realizes that the entire world is against him. It's not over. Everybody betrayed me. I fed up with this world. Lisa officially leaves Johnny to go be with Mark and Johnny continues to feel betrayed. Everybody betrayed me. I don't have a friend in the world. As mentioned before, Johnny goes on to wreck his apartment half-heartedly and then definitely not half-heartedly hump the dress he gave Lisa earlier in the movie. Then Johnny grabs a gun, which as I was watching this last time, may or may not be the gun that they took off of Chris R during the whole Chris R Denny scene. Perhaps this is the justification for that entire scene and kills himself. God, forgive me. (laughs) 
Now, with Johnny dead, Mark immediately turns on Lisa for her betrayal, as if he himself had not betrayed his friend just five minutes earlier. Tramp. You killed him. You're the cause of all of this. I don't love you. And everyone cries over Johnny's dead body, realizing that they are truly evil, and Johnny was the only pure thing in this crazy, crazy world. When you look back at this movie and what happens in it, the overwhelming question that I always have is, why? What, what was the point of all this? What were the intentions of Tommy Wiseau? What did he want to say? And normally when you ask a filmmaker this question, they'll go into a very deep examination about their own motivations and what they brought to the source material if it was something that they didn't write themselves. Tommy Wiseau, of course, wants to keep it a mystery. Why I make the room? Because it is a deal with relationship. I wanted people to actually relate. I, you know, I'm tired to go to a movie and not have a groovy time. Everybody is so stiff, you know. I wanted people to really have fun. Ah, uh, yes. Suicide, betrayal, all the elements of a great audience romp. Speaking from my personal opinion here, I don't think Tommy Wiseau intended this to be a comedy at all. I think this was supposed to be a treatise, a manifesto, if you will, against the world, as if he could prove somehow to the cosmos that everyone had wrongfully written him off, had wrongfully betrayed him, that he could write a movie that was so good that the world would drop to its knees and realize that they had wrongly written off the genius of Tommy Wiseau. A genius on the scale of Tennessee Williams himself, and I know that because that's what he wrote in the trailer. The Room, a film with the passion of Tennessee Williams, directed by Tommy Wiseau. So while I believe that Tommy Wiseau went into the premiere of The Room thinking that he had written the next great American drama, I also believe that those notions were pretty quickly dispelled when the film premiered on June 27th, 2003. And this is where I do feel a little sorry for Tommy Wiseau because I think the night of the premiere, everybody else knew what was probably about to happen and he didn't really see the train coming down the tracks because his introduction to the film, which is depicted in the movie The Disaster Artist, is exactly what was said on premiere night according to Greg Sestero. This is my movie and this is my life. The Room was indeed Tommy Wiseau's life, and it was laughed out of the theater. While the book The Disaster Artist stops just short of this point, the movie actually does show what has been confirmed through several different interviews, which is an initial feeling of confusion on the part of the audience, followed by a dawning realization of what they were witnessing, and concluding with howling laughter that echoed out of the theater. The movie's editor, Eric Chase, confirms this in an interview that you can find on the Blu-ray of The Room. Everyone dressed up, room full of people, about to see this drama that I worked on called The Room, and people started laughing. A room full of people was laughing, and at the towards the end of the movie, out loud. Following this reception publicly and privately, Wiseau has since taken the stance that The Room was always supposed to be a dark comedy. Wow, I'm glad you like my comedic movie. Exactly how I intended. Even incorporating that into the publicity materials, paradoxically, right next to the quote that says that it's also as good as Tennessee Williams. The best movie of the year. Experience this quirky new black comedy. It's a riot. The Room had an initial two-week engagement in order to qualify for the Academy Awards naturally, and reportedly took in about $1,800. And this is where the story would end for almost any other film. But a handful of super fans, reportedly led by Michael Rousselet of Five Second Films, happened to catch the movie during its initial run 
and began bringing their friends towards the end of that two weeks to share this bizarre experience. Once the initial run had ended, the demand to see this movie kept growing, and it was very easy to find Tommy Wiseau and request additional bookings of the movie because he erected a billboard on Highland Avenue in Los Angeles, one of the busiest streets in Hollywood, with directions on how to ask for screenings of the room. This billboard was there for about five years. Soon, screenings of The Room were being sold out monthly on Saturday nights at the Lemley Five in West Hollywood. That's the theater where I initially saw the film. But these weren't just screenings. These were celebrations. These were spoon-throwing, line-quoting, football-tossing parties. And they were often attended by Tommy Wiseau himself. I remember that he came to my screening of the movie. He came up, he recited a Shakespearean sonnet, he told everyone to enjoy the movie. And keep in mind, I didn't know anything about this movie when I saw it, so I figured, oh, he's in on the joke. It wasn't until much later that I realized that, no, he's not necessarily in on the joke, it's just that he can't quite outrun the joke. From these monthly screenings and through DVD sales, a celebrity fan base began to pop up around the room, and soon references to the movie began winding its way through pop culture, including on the TV show Veronica Mars. It's like they do Rocky IV. You know, at one point people throw plastic spoons at the screen. You have to check it out. It'll, it'll change your life. Uh-oh. Relax, I'm here to invite you to a party. The cult of the room grew and grew to a national sensation, and 10 years after the film's release, Greg Sestero, along with Tom Bissell, wrote a book called The Disaster Artist, My Life Inside the Room, The Greatest Bad Movie Ever Made. A few months later, Seth Rogen's production company, Point Grey Pictures, optioned the rights to make the book into a film, and James Franco came aboard to both direct and star in the movie as Tommy Wiseau. And to play Greg Sestero, he chose his brother Dave, a move that the producers were initially a little confused by, but ultimately figured out was a reflection of the actual bond between these two guys. Yeah, I imagine like when they were making The Room, Greg constantly, as, as the book shows, is like, this is crazy, this guy's nuts. <laughs> and James and Dave have had that relationship their whole life, I think, where Dave's like, I love this guy, but man, he's nuts. Once I realized this book existed, I bought it as quickly as I could and devoured it. And it is a great book, a great retelling, especially if you are a fan of The Room. And the movie is a pretty faithful recreation of a lot of the stuff you'll find in the book. I think what's notable is that the movie was made with the support and participation of both Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau, who actually had a lot of praise for the movie and said it was mostly accurate. Praise that he also had for James Franco when he visited the set to film a small cameo role in the movie. The accent is okay, but it's a little quirky, but it's okay. I pass it. You pass it, okay? Accent. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What I love about both the book and the movie The Disaster Artist is that we get this second perspective from Greg Sestero because you are never going to penetrate this veil of mystery that Tommy Wiseau has formulated around himself. The curtain is never going to drop. Maybe it's all a bunch of performance art. I mean, this is a pretty brilliant performance, and I think that there's more going on with Tommy Wiseau than people give him credit for, it is difficult to do all of these things to the degree that he has done them. But through Sestero's eyes, we see Tommy from the perspective of someone who's gotten about as close to him as it seems like he will allow a person to get. We see a guy who's obsessed with youth. We see a guy who seems flattered that a young guy like Greg wants to be around him, is kind of in awe of him, and he uses that friendship to advance and, and live the life of a much younger person. But we also see the jealous side of Tommy. We see the fact that he takes out on Greg that he has a lot of the things that he himself wants. An agent, 
a shot perhaps at a career as a big leading man, a pretty girlfriend, all of the things that Tommy Wiseau thinks the world owes him, it looks like Greg is going to have. This recontextualizes the room for me as not so much a passion project, but an act of revenge, a signal to the world that it has wrongly pushed this guy away from them for his entire life. Just because you want it doesn't mean it can happen, okay? It's one in a million even if you have Brando's talent. It's not going to happen for you. And this is summed up so well in one of my favorite passages from the book, which is a great scene in the movie, as the actors in a break on set try to break down what this movie is all about. It's autobiographical. Does that mean that there's a Lisa? Somebody who broke his heart and stabbed him in the back and ruined his life? Well, that's pretty obvious to me. That's the universe. Like The Room itself, The Disaster Artist is based on a series of contradictions, a successful failure, bizarre characters that are larger than life, but also extremely relatable in their insecurities. A filmmaker who is both hopelessly inept and so driven that he actually accomplishes what is almost impossible to accomplish in Hollywood and proves everybody wrong. Perhaps the biggest irony about the relationship between The Room and The Disaster Artist is that while Tommy Wiseau had serious awards hopes for The Room, it was actually The Disaster Artist that was able to garner awards attention, securing a SAG Award nomination for James Franco for his performance as Tommy Wiseau in addition to a Golden Globe nomination. The Disaster Artist also received a Golden Globe nomination for Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy, and an Oscar nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay. The legacy of The Room and The Disaster Artist and how they are intertwined together is more complex than I could ever go into. I really would just recommend, if you like the little sliver of the story that you've heard here today, starting with the movie The Room, reading the book The Disaster Artist, and then watching the movie, because they are all wildly entertaining in their own rights. But as I was going through all of these supplemental materials on both Blu-rays, I found an anecdote for Tommy that highlighted a legacy of the movie that I hadn't even thought about, which is that The Room may actually have been providing a public service. Actually, the room, uh, you know, condensed crime in America. Why I'm saying this? Well, usually we, we screen the room at midnight. Statistically speaking, the crime is committed between midnight and 3 o'clock in the morning. If this theory is true, if Tommy Wiseau, through the room, has been keeping city streets safe at night, then he may not be a vampire, as some have said Tommy Wiseau actually is, or as he wanted Johnny to be, but he may be close to another pop culture figure who comes out at night. Tommy Wiseau may be the Batman. As always, I love to go over the special features of the physical copies of the movies that I talk about here on the show, and we'll start with The Room. One thing that I love about every special feature on this disc is that it begins and ends with the Wiso Films animated logo with music. You get two trailers for the movie, a long trailer and a short trailer. You get an interview with Tommy and an interview with the editor of the film as well, along with some interviews with Greg Sestero. You also get a behind-the-scenes documentary, and I think the footage that they actually got was probably way more interesting, and I would love to get a crack at the raw footage on this. This is all pretty mundane stuff, although it does give you a great look at this insane setup that required a custom build of having two cameras mounted next to each other, this massive rig. It is absolutely nuts for anybody that knows anything about film production and probably people that don't as well. Perhaps most notably for fans of The Room, there is a deleted scene on the Blu-ray that is the original Chris R scene, the one that was shot in the alley. Where is my... Money. I swear to God, it's killed.
The Blu-ray for The Disaster Artist also has a couple of different documentaries about making and directing the movie. You also have an interview with Tommy Wiseau that we've seen clips of that doesn't really reveal anything, but it's just always interesting to watch what he says in response to just about any question. There's also a gag reel, the trailer for the film, and a commentary track featuring a lot of the people involved in the production, including James Franco, Greg Sestero, Dave Franco, and Tommy Wiseau, and you've heard different clips of it throughout the show, but there's another clip I thought was interesting where they asked Tommy Wiseau how it feels to be known as the director of one of the worst movies ever made. When you hear the best worst movie ever made, how does that make you feel? I think it should be the, the, <laughs> the best of the best. And that wraps up our look at The Room, The Disaster Artist, and Bad Movie Month. This has been so much fun to go through the different iterations of bad movies. We are, as I mentioned, going to keep doing themed months. So as we leave February behind us, we're looking ahead to March. And with such a big month ahead for DC fans and the five-year anniversary of the release of Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, I've decided to devote March to the modern film evolution of one of the most recognizable characters in pop culture, really in fiction, modern fiction, Superman. And we're starting next week with Richard Donner's landmark 1978 film, Superman, also known as Superman the Movie, starring Christopher Reeve. I'm excited to tackle that and to tackle this character for the next several weeks as we look at how the Man of Steel has evolved over the decades on screen. I'm excited for you to join me then. Please don't forget to check us out on the Schmodown Entertainment Network if you're listening to us, and be sure to check out the audio podcast if you're watching us on SEN. I'll see you next week as we begin Superman Month, but until then, it's time to go back on the shelf. I'll see you next time.